Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the Premier Radio Networks, including 159 of the best stations in the U.S. and Canada. I, one was missing, KFI, today, because they preempted the entire show for the Carmageddon disaster on the 405. They closed the 405 down in Los Angeles. So if you were, for the first time, listening to the podcast, because you're a KFI listener and you were disenfranchised, welcome. Good to have you. We'll be back on KFI tomorrow. Uh, but listen to the podcast. It's easy. It's fast. <laughs> it's effective. You can even listen at double speed and hear it in half the time. Uh, this is episode 787 from Saturday, July 16th, 2011. Enjoy. The Tech Guy podcast is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TECHGUY7. Well, hello there. How are you? Good to see you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about computers and the internet. The call, the uh, the, uh, the computers, the internet, what else? Uh, uh, oh, cell phones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> MP3 players. All right, I'll admit it. My mind is elsewhere. Home theater. All of that stuff. Digital technology. That's what this show's about. That's what my life has been about for the last almost 20 years we start i started doing this like almost i you know i wish i knew the exact date when i started doing technology talk radio because it was in 91 i'm probably somewhere in this year will be the i i can't even say it the 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 20th anniversary oh my goodness ah it's a long time and a lot has happened over 20 years it started of course with windows three point one and DOS, I think it was DOS five at the time, and, and of course the internet came along, and now cell phones are just where everything's happening. All this stuff has changed very quickly, but I, but I, the reason I bring it up is because I've taken a step back in my past, into my past. Um, once I found analog, you know, I, I started in radio itself in 1976, as a broadcaster. Don't do the math. Thirty five years ago, It'll be thirty five years in December. And in order to, in those days, in order to do a radio show, even if you were just a DJ, which I was, you had to get an FCC license. They called it a third ticket, third class, FCC third class license. And uh, and I cherished that for a long time. You know, there are higher tickets if you're a chief engineer, you had to have a first class license and so forth. And, uh, you know, I really, uh, I love radio. I love it as a medium, as a broadcast medium. But I never got into something called ham radio, amateur radio. It was always a business for me. Uh, until recently, we started doing a ham show. Good, I, I met a guy named Bob Heil, who is, um, well, I didn't know it at the time, a very well-known ham, but I knew him because he makes the best microphones in the world. The microphones I use in all my shows, including this one, a Heil PR40. So I got to know Bob by getting to know his microphones. Then we met. And he also is a great rock raconteur. He, many years as a rock and roll sound engineer, for groups like The Who and um, The Grateful Dead and I mean, just big-name bands, Joe Walsh and The Eagles. And so he has many great stories about those days. But but ultimately, I think Bob, somehow he, 
he knew <laughs> that eventually he was going to get me into this hobby of his that he says was his college education. He started as a ham as a kid in his, I think, 15 or 16, in his teens. And uh, he said, I didn't, I didn't need to go to college. Ham was my college education, not only just the technology that I learned, but also the people that I met and the things that I learned about over the year. And so for, since, I've, since I've known Bob, he's kind of gently, so, so gently I didn't even notice, nudged me into, uh, into the ham radio spectrum. I thought, oh, I'm a professional broadcaster. I don't, I'm not an amateur radio guy. Plus, I don't want to learn Morse code. Well, he said, oh, you don't have to learn Morse code anymore. No dit, 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 dot, dot, dot. He said you should, but you don't have to. So uh, last night, thanks to his urgings and the urgings of another guy who's also very well known in the ham community, Gordon West, Gordon provided me with all the teaching materials. You know, he teaches uh, hams. I went down to the Our Savior Lutheran Church in Lafayette, California, met a bunch of great hams. And you know what was interesting? There were about 10 or 15 people taking their license exam. It's surprisingly vital hobby still. And uh, I passed my uh, technician's exam. Now, that's the lowliest of the low. The, just the very beginning of it all. And there's many more things to learn and, many, and a couple more levels to earn. But I'm very proud to say I am now in a, in a very interesting fraternity, the ham fraternity. Now, I don't have my call signs yet. I'll let you know what those are in a week or two. But uh, I look forward to seeing some of you, not just on the broadcast airwaves, but on the amateur airwaves. And Bob's going to join us in about 20 minutes. Just to talk to him a little bit about that. If you've ever thought about being a ham, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And there, it's more than just a hobby. I mean, there are real valuable uh, functions performed by hams in terms of uh, public safety uh, when disasters happen. Often it's the ham radios are the only things that still work. I imagine, you know, we're being preempted. I think we're being preempted right now in L.A. We're on uh, the big talk radio station in L.A., KFI. And uh, it's my understanding that we are not on today on KFI. We're on on all the other stations, but not on KFI, because they have decided to dedicate the entire day to what Southern California is calling Carmageddon. The, I don't know the details of it. The, there's, a, there's a freeway, which I've spent many hours on, not moving, called the 405, the San Diego Freeway in Los Angeles. And apparently they've decided, for reasons I don't understand, I guess repairs, that they need to close the entire freeway for 53 hours, it started last night. It will go through the weekend. And uh, Los Angelinos are terrified. Carmageddon, they're calling it. What? We have to take Sepulveda? We, we have to drive on surface roads? Are you kidding me? So they decided to uh, preempt my show and all the other shows on KFI today for Carmageddon coverage. They're, they're demol- demolishing Steve in San Diego. say they're demolishing a bridge taking down an overpass i guess it makes sense i mean if you you know you can't just take out the bridge and uh, on a highway you and route around it you've got to take the whole thing down i guess it's so funny JetBlue, which of course is the low-cost uh, airline is offering four dollar fares to fly <laughs> where is it from burbank to santa monica long beach long beach <laughs> so you can fly over but then that's caused a race between uh, between uh, JetBlue and bicyclists. They're having a race to see who can get from Burbank to Long Beach fastest, a jet airplane or a bicycle. It's pretty funny. Anyway, we, <laughs> 
for anybody, I guess we, you know, we still have people watching uh, the internet stream. And uh, so for, for those of you in the area who have decided not to follow breathlessly the Carmageddon coverage, but instead to follow breathlessly the technology coverage, welcome. Thank you. You have my sympathies. Stay home. <laughs> Dr. Mom, who lives in Long Island, says, you Californians are cowards. We rebuild bridges in New York all the time with people driving right on them there. No big deal. What? Shut it down? No, you're crazy. Why shut it down? There's just a little construction going on. Phone number is 888-827-5536. That's toll free from anywhere in the U.S. If you're outside the U.S., you can also call that number. You just have to use Skype out or something like it uh, to make the phone call. It'll be free because it's a toll free number. 88 88 ask Leo. That's the easy number to remember. 8888 ask Leo. Any questions about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players? I had thought today we'd spend a whole day talking about the brand new Macintoshes and the brand new Lion operating system because everybody in the world said, oh, Apple's going to do it on Thursday. They didn't. Of course they didn't. This is an important note, uh, notice to everybody, including me. Apple doesn't talk, and if somebody's talking about what Apple's going to do, they're, they're speculating, they're guessing. No one knows, because Apple doesn't say, and they have an amazing culture of secrecy there. Probably perpetuated by the fact that you will be fired if, if they catch you <laughs> talking to the press. So no one knows. The, now, the new speculation is Apple's uh, quarterly earnings report comes out on the 20th. Next week. So the new, And they did say it'll be out in July. This, they have said that. So they got two weeks. But then the, now the new speculation is Lion, OS X Lion, will come out around about the quarterly uh, earnings report, maybe on the 20th itself. And that we're pretty sure, but again, rank speculation, that at the same time as Apple releases the new operating system, they'll release some new computers to kind of go with it, including new MacBook Airs. This is, this is the big winner in the Apple line right now. So if you're in the market for a Mac, you might want to wait till uh, the 20th, just a few days back. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. We'll go to the phones right after this. We'll be back with more of the Tech Guy Show in just a bit. Before we do, though, I would like you very much to uh, take a look at Squarespace.com. You've heard me talk about Squarespace. I hope you have. It is the secret behind exceptional websites. If it's time, somebody's just asking in the chat room, what's a good web hosting company? Well, this is web hosting plus really great software on top of it to make uh, just a fantastic place for you to create a website. Not just a blog, although it's great for that. Uh, You can also use it for a photo gallery. They've got great uh, gallery capabilities. They have forums, form building, e-commerce, all that stuff. And the best part is for free, no credit card needed. In fact, you only need three pieces of information. You can create your own website for the first two weeks using all of their features. Just go to squarespace.com, click that green button right up there that says, you know, try it free. You'll need a name for your site, a password, and an email address. You know what? I got to get it right now. I am, this is going to be, my ham site is going to be on here. So uh, this is really this is really great. And then Leo. So in fact, right now, live during the show, uh, whiskey six twt. We're gonna um, we're gonna actually. Um, so there, the site's up. <laughs> 
Now I'm gonna I I I'm gonna make the transfer over from w6twt.org to this one, but this is going to be my ham site. So that's how easy it was. I just created a website. Now once you do that, they've got great support and so forth. You can start playing with everything. See this? All these little buttons. Let me click back. This is what the site looks like. Click the design button, and you can do everything. Add page, add website header. Let's say W6 TWT Leo's Ham Site, etc., etc. Couldn't be easier to modify this. Instant feedback. You can totally control the design. I'll click the paintbrush, and you'll see we've got all these great templates to start with. And then each template can be modified. I'm going to start with, uh, let's see, incident at gate 7. Let's, let's enable that style. See, what, see how easy this is? Look, I want you to try this right now. Two weeks to play with it. Create a site. It could be an ad hoc site for a particular business need or event. It could be a site for, um, hey, that's pretty. I like that. That's nice. I'm going to keep that. <coughs> but you now we could change everything. I mean, everything is changeable in here. Couldn't be easier to play with. Custom CSS, fonts, colors, sizes, banners, and navigations. It's all amazingly simple. And then the management, the stats, the things you can find out, just fantastic. I want you to try this. And, and if you decide you want to buy, click that Upgrade Now button. You have two weeks to do this. And you can... Have a great site for as little as $10 a month. But here's the deal. I want you to use this offer code right there at the bottom of the screen. You see that? Tech Guy 7 You'll get 10% off for the first six months of your site. Now, that's a good deal. 10% off for the first six months. And it also helps the Tech Guy show. Squarespace.com, the secret behind exceptional websites. Try it free today if you decide you want to buy it. And I think you're going to love this. Great hosting. Great, uh, great software. Use the offer code TechGuy7 to save. And we thank them so much for their support of the Tech Guy podcast. Couldn't do it without them. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. 8888. Ask Leo. After, the, uh, after I took the test at the hand club there, the uh, Mount Diablo uh, Amateur Radio Club. They had a meeting, and a couple of guys came up. And said, "It's a tech guy." He said, "Hey," I said, "I'm not one of you. I just took the test." He said, "You were. I thought you were a ham. I've been a ham my whole life. I just got a piece of paper now that says it's official. A government piece of paper that <laughs> says it's official. This is, by the way, I, I should mention this because I'm kind of excited. And and if you hear me being, I'm I'm a little, I have a cold. I'm a little stressed. I'm a little gruff. And that if you hear that, it's because. Uh, we have one more week in the old Tech Guy Labs, and we're moving down the road, moving on up to the uh, northeast side. Actually, it's two blocks away to the, uh, we call it the, the, the Twit Brick House Studios because they're beautiful. It's a beautiful brick building. 9,400 square foot studio with a 6,500 square foot basement. All, this actually is a nice design because all the gear, all the electronics for the uh, the, the studio are in the basement. It's like a six-foot-high raised floor that we put everything in. So there, everything is down there. It's all cool and uh, isolated. And, qu- and it, So upstairs is very pretty and quiet. It's going to be a beautiful studio. 
And uh, so we won't be in there next weekend. Next weekend will be the last weekend from the Tech Guy Labs and then the weekend following. I will move, actually, on the 24th, the, the, uh, right after the last Tech Guy show. We've come a long way. Robert in the chat room is saying, yeah, remember when you used to broadcast on Ustream via a webcam? And that wasn't that, that was a few years ago. That was just, <laughs> that's how this started. I put up a webcam in the studio and people could watch. See, I didn't think anybody would want to watch. So I just figured, well, I'll put a little webcam up for the five people who think this is interesting. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're radio people they want to kind of see. Because, I mean, come on, a radio show. There's nothing more dynamic, is there? Made for TV. <laughs> but somehow, somehow we've, we've generated a, an audience uh, and uh, we're building this no, new facility. And if you get up to Northern California, the Petaluma area, come on by and say hi. We have uh, an open studio policy. Uh, just to, to visit, you got to uh, email my sister, Eva, and uh, let her know you're coming. Just We do that just to make sure that there's enough room. The new studios have a lot more room, but we just want to make sure we don't. We've actually, uh, there are more than 50 people coming each day in the, in the week that we open. That's about as much room as we figured we could have. So her address is Eva at twit, T-W-I-T dot TV. Eva at twit dot TV and, and tell her you, if you're going to be in the it's Petaluma, California, about an hour north of San Francisco, up by the in the Sonoma Wine Country. So it's a nice destination. We get a lot of couples. We had a honeymoon couple the uh, the other day. <laughs> I felt so sorry for. <laughs> I don't. I think actually the wife was the was the geek, and the guy was just going. Well, I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> Can we have? I said, get buy your husband a nice meal afterwards, would you? Make up, make it up to him. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo. That's my uh, phone number. <clears throat> yeah, I apologize for the uh, for the gruffness. A little bit uh, under the weather. Daniel in Arizona. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Daniel. Hi, uh, hi, Leo. I am sixteen years old, and I recently started my website. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could give me some tips on how to drive traffic to and, my website. And, uh, besides calling the tech guy and telling everybody that your URL is. Uh, www.riderecon.net And what do you talk about? Uh, we provide links to automotive news sources. Oh, that sounds good. It's uh, inspired by Drudge Report. So you want to do the Drudge Report for automotive news. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea because Drudge has the news down, right? So, but but he's got a model that works. Yes, he does. And uh, if you can do the same thing for a a niche, that is even better. I, you know, I'll tell you, I'm a big fan of the niche. It's is it riderecon.net? Is that what it is? Yep, that's yeah. it. So let me let me talk a little bit about the niche and why this will help you. Publicize, okay. publicize your uh, site. So um, a guy named Christopher Anderson, he's the editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine, wrote a book a few years ago called The Long Tail, in which he explains Amazon's success and why Amazon has an advantage over regular retailers. You know, in a, in a brick-and-mortar store, you know, your hardware store, you can only stock so much stuff. So you stock the best sellers, right? Okay. That, that's, the, that's the big, this is a long way around to explain this, by the way. <laughs> You'll understand by the end of it, Daniel. So, okay. so in 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 normal uh, space constrained environments or resource constrained environments, you you pick the hits. 
You you stock the stuff, more people are going to buy. Well, Chris Anderson observed, it turns out, that Amazon makes more money by selling onesie-twosie products, and that's called the long tail, than in the big hits. So if you think of it as a graph, this is, a, this is how you, you have to kind of visualize it. And the graph starts off in the, in the upper left-hand corner with bestsellers, you know, products you sell millions of copies of. And and then it and then it, it goes off on the right to products you sell fewer and fewer copies of. And so there's a lot of products. It, it's a it's a snake with a big hump at the top, and then a long thin tail out going off to the right. Those are the products you sell one or two of. But notice something about the long tail. It's long. There's lots of them. So if you weren't resource constrained, if you didn't have to stock this stuff, you could sell so many onesie twosies. So for Amazon. They sell a lot of bestsellers. They they make a lot of money on bestsellers, but they also sell many many more. Might said sell you know ten thousand bestselling titles, and they might sell a million lesser selling titles. But by virtue of the fact that they sell one or two of these million lesser selling titles, they do very well on them. That's the long tail, and that's the niche. What it means is on the internet, because you know when it when it was if it's a if it's a a, a cable ch- network. You know, if, on, on cable you only have 500 stations. Let's say, then you've got to then you've got to kind of serve the big interests. Yeah, there's 500 of them. You got to serve the big interests. But when you talk about the web, there's no limit, right? So I feel, and I and I've always done this. I serve a very narrow niche, the tech enthusiast. That's that's the niche I decided I I wanted to serve because I love it. I presume that you love Daniel. You love cars, and that's why you wanted to serve that niche, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So it should come from your passion. I think that's really, really important um, because then you, it'll carry you through the times of tough, tough times. But also because that means you know the business, you know the stuff, you know the culture, you know the people, you know your audience. And that's really important. So you pick a narrow niche. I mean, cars might not even be narrow enough. I think it probably is, but you could even make it, you know, hot rods or you can make it classic cars. A narrow niche is good because you don't need. A million people to make this site a success. If you had ten thousand visitors a day, you'd be huge, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, you would. And I see a big ad for Amazon on there. Not a surprise, is it? Yeah. These, these guys know that the niche is great. So, so you've done the first thing right, which is you've picked a niche that you love, something you're passionate about, and something that's fairly narrow. Uh-huh. Not, not you know, if you said I'm going to do the next Drudge Report, I'd say good luck, but you know, you're going to have a tough time of it. Uh, but you yep. picked you picked that style for a narrow thing. Now the thing to do is to go places, and you know these places, where people who would like your stuff congregate and tell them about it. And because it's narrow, that's easy to do. Leo Laporte, Tech Guy. Look who's here. I was uh, talking a little bit about uh, the fact that uh, I got into Hammery because of a, a guy named Bob Heil, who I met through his microphones. In fact, the way I met Bob Heil, I won... This microphone I'm using, the, the Heil PR40 microphone, which is, in my opinion, the best microphone made. I won it uh, uh, in the very first podcast expo. It was, a, it was the kind of award for podcast of the year. And since there were only about half a dozen podcasters, I had a good shot at it then. <laughs> but I love this. I fell in love with this microphone. I've used it on the air ever since, since 2004. And uh, I got to get to know Bob Heil as a result. Bob, who is a legend... In three different spheres, first, of course, as a, as, as a manufacturer of great microphones at HeilSound.com. But it turns out he got into the microphone biz because he was a ham and he was dissatisfied with the quality of microphones that ham radio enthusiasts were using. Uh, 
He's very well-known ham, probably uh, one of one of the top five best-known hams in the U.S. And then it turns out he's also a legend in the rock and roll music business, designing the quadraphonic sound for the Who's Quadrophenia tour, the talk box for Peter Frampton and Frampton Comes Alive, sound man for many great bands. So here he is on the phone. Actually, he's on via Skype from his ham shack. Hey, Bob. Congratulations, Mr. Laporte. I'm so excited. You know, I went in to take the uh, test, and um, it was in, it was in a little church in uh, Lafayette, California, and um, and there were, th- there were there were a couple of hams there, and then I go into the room, and there's there's f- there's four examiners, and I just I was I was almost I was I was nervous because I haven't taken yeah. a test that mattered in a long time. I'm yeah. 54 years old, but I also was really excited. I said, guys, I I haven't been this excited about anything in a long time. And they kind of smiled knowingly. They said, yeah, we remember. Yeah, we do. Yeah, but we never forget it. See, that's the thing. I, 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 I wake up every morning, and it's, it's at the top of the list. I come into this station lab, as I call it, because it, it's my ham radio station. I have way more equipment than I should have. But it's a lab. It's where I test all of this stuff and, uh, and design the microphones right here. That's neat. And uh, one of the big pieces that I need in this lab is shining up behind my head back in here. That's the Duro meter. And uh, it's a very calibrated meter. You can see it uh, flashing up above there. Yeah. And it, it's uh, it, it, with that, with my oscilloscopes, and of course, I use programs on the computer. But I I find that the the thing that really counts are these things on the side of your head, uh, computer g- graphics and the programs and <clears throat> all of the different analytical programs mean nothing when it comes down to plugging it into a radio, listening to it, and seeing how it sounds and how it works. Well, you've actually, you've made microphones now. I mean, radio uh, uh, engineers, radio station engineers are very traditional, and so they use the Neumanns and the Shures, and mm-hmm. probably more than any other, the electro-voice microphones, because that's what they've used for years. But every once in a while, I'm actually more and more often, uh, a station a manager, a program director, or a chief engineer will call me and say, Leo, we really like how your microphone sounds. What, <laughs> it, what are you using? And when I tell them that the, the PR40, this top-of-the-line Heil mic, is just a few hundred dollars, and they've been spending thousands. I'm not kidding on Neumann mics, yeah. mics. They kind of they kind of gulp <laughs> a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. So we are a new studio. I want to thank Bob because in our new studio, it's all Heil all the time, all the way around. Um, I've been using Heil. There's nothing but Heil in this studio in the Tech Guy Labs. But we're going to a much larger facility with many, many, many more mics. And thanks to Bob, we're uh, we're able to equip it uh, right. And then apparently, uh, thanks to you also, I am going to be setting up a. A, a radio museum, basically, a radio corner of the studio. That's where the ham stuff will be, right? ICOM, exactly. I guess, is going to set us up with some stuff. And then, uh, tell, tell, can we talk a little bit about the, the, the rest of the gear that will be in that radio corner? Yeah, I, I should have brought some pictures on it for you. Well, but it's radio, Bob, you understand. Yeah, Nobody the can thing see is, <laughs> I, I, I'm very, very blessed that I... I have such great friends in ham radio, and one of them is Mike DeRoe. Mike builds that meter up behind me, and he was the guy back in the 60s, Leo, that brought split-band compression to AM radio. And you talk about a guy that works only by his ears, it's Mike DeRoe. And he he has this very, very successful company working with radio stations and their meters and 
processors and all that. But his very true hobby is going out to radio stations that toss out their old transmitters. It, it, it's it's sacrilegious to him to, to see a, a radio station toss out their Collins or Gates or RCAs and so on. And he'll go get those and resurrect them. And then he will take them onto the ham radio frequencies and he converts them to uh, 60, 160 and 75 meters and uh, it's 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 remarkable because these are pieces of art these old transmitters and he gets the consoles you know the one with the big knobs that you used they're to have so beautiful i remember those and they're art, they're pieces of artwork yeah and he restores those well Dave Jennings, who was on our very first Ham Nation program with Joe Walsh, Dave is a, an incredible engineer, and he has a station, his ham radio station, he has duplicated what he had in his college days back in Iowa, and of course, he and, and uh, Mike are very dear friends and work together, they proposed that you should have this piece of history in the corner of this fantastic new studio that you're building. And it's going to be very interesting because you're going to have from the early days of broadcast all the way through to the absolute latest and greatest. And I think a lot of people are going to, to love what they see because this thing is is beautiful. It's a piece of art deco, and he's fixing it up so that the filaments will light. You'll oh, be able to go so in great. and turn it on. <laughs> I, will t I will tell the FCC that don't worry, I'm not going to broadcast from there. We will continue to do the radio show the way we have been doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's funny because radio now is 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 uh, is really quite sophisticated. This show that we do uh, is analog in my studio, but then it goes over digital lines from Northern California to Southern California, from uh, from my Tech Guy Labs to Sherman Oaks, where uh, the Premier Studios are, their network operations center. Then sends it up to the satellite, right. where it then is broadcast all of this digitally to the reg the radio stations, 150 radio stations around the country. Who then rebroadcast it? Uh, it becomes analog as they broadcast, but uh, it's a, it's it's a lot of digital nowadays. It's really kind of Absolutely. kind of cool. And yet, Absolutely. I too started in college radio in the seventies, and uh, and this mixer and this Collins transmitter, it brings back such memories for me. Uh, well, I was just talking with David this morning, and we have a uh, we have a little thing going on. I guess a little bet going on. It'll only take time for you to figure out that uh, once you get rocking and rolling in ham radio, you're going to come to this and say, um, "I want to use this on uh, 75 meters and get on with the AM <laughs> guys on Wednesday night on 3870." Just a matter and, of time. <laughs> yeah, and so what what Mike is doing, he's building this transmitter, uh, restoring this transmitter. And and he won't put the power supply in it yet, but uh, everything out, the filaments will be there. But uh, the day that that comes, Leo, you'll be able to push the big button. You're kidding. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that's legal? Oh, absolutely. It only See, it only runs a couple hundred watts. A lot of people think those things ran thousands and thousands. Well, some of them did, like KMOX right. had 50,000 watts right. with water-cooled tubes. But no, uh, most of those transmitters only run a couple of hundred watts, and that's, of course, legal on AM uh, for amateur radio. That's and amazing. there are just just scores of these guys uh, throughout the country that are doing this. And Bob, we got to run, but I want to thank you. Bob is K9EID. 
Kilo 9 Echo India Delta. And we will talk to you on the handband soon, Bob. Thanks so much. Okay. See you on Ham Nation Tuesday. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Are, are we going to get to the part where he goes, wah, 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 wah? Sometime I'll have to get Bob on. We'll talk about how he came up with this. Pe- Peter Frampton's wife, Penny, came to Bob and said, Bob, Bob, Penny, I, w- I want to I give Peter a special birthday gift. Do you have anything in mind? And Bob said, well, I can, uh, I got something for you. <laughs> He whipped up this thing, which is really, actually, it's very simple. It hooks up to a guitar. It's got a little speaker in it, a plastic tube that goes into your mouth, and then you play the guitar. The sound comes up through the tube into your mouth, and then you put your mouth next to a microphone, and that's how you get that wah, 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 wah. And it's called the Heil Talk Box. He made the first one for Peter Frampton, and it became uh, huge with the Frampton Comes Alive album. And uh, Joe Walsh is also uh, uses it quite a bit in his Rocky Mountain way in many of his songs. Joseph. There it is. That's it. Of course, once you know the, quote, magic of it, it's not so magic, is it? <laughs> but it's such a distinct sound, and that's, uh, that, you know, that, was, that album sold how many millions of copies really because of that sound. I don't think Bob got royalties. It's going to be interesting to have in the new... Brickhouse Studios, a AM transmitter from what looks like the 40s. I mean, this thing has, it glows. The tubes, you can look through a glass window on the front, and the tubes are literally glowing in there. And uh, so it'll be a little museum of radio, the same kind of radio studio that Wolfman Jack and people like that uh, broadcast with, and I did in my early days with the, uh, the the round knobs, not the faders, but the round knobs and switches. It's going to be fun. If you get up to the Northern California area, we'll have quite a showpiece for you. 8888-ASK-LEO's the number. Mark is in Santa Ana, California. Hey, Mark, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, um, by the way, I'm finally uploading that video of blowing out a computer. Oh, that's great. You, you were the guy who said that you could do that with, uh, what was it? A lawn and leaf blower. That's I what got I... twenty minutes. <laughs> Put me on hold. Take me in thirty minutes, and I'll I'll do this. <laughs> I actually lowered the temperature of a laptop this week by just simply sticking the blower in the um, the fan pack, and it went from seventy five Celsius down to forty eight. What a surprise! Again, uh, this is Mark's good idea. I am not recommending a lawn and leaf blower for cleaning out your computer, but uh, Mark, are you going to put that on YouTube? Yeah, it's it's got twenty minutes left. What is the uh, YouTube? What is your YouTube uh, channel? I don't even think I have a YouTube channel. Just look up Mark H Weiss. That's W E I S S one. Okay. I think that's what I'm logged in. Is it at. an electric lawn and leaf blower or a, one of those two-stroke gas engines? No, no, no. Just a lawn and leaf. It was like twenty bucks from Osh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it's an interesting idea. Let's put it that way. But Mark swears by it. A website to, uh, you know, how to deal with basic computers. I love it. It's so, going to go viral, you, Mark. It, I guarantee you it's going to be a viral video. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, the question I had is, is I'm going to be moving a uh, iTunes library from a Mac to three kids' laptops. And I just, it's, it's they all were using the, the Mac, but the kids are getting laptops. So, um, and now, is it... Uh, you, you, 
that. Yeah, you I've just, done it. absolutely. You just you just move the library itself, uh, and all will all will follow. What'll happen with uh, the um, the Mac f- is looks like it's a single file. It's actually a folder containing a bunch of folders. The original music is in there, uh, and the uh, iTunes on the PC will be able to see that. So um, I don't think there's. I think you could literally copy the iTunes folder. That's all you have to do. Oh, you're cutting out. Well, I, unless it's unless the radio station is falling apart, <laughs> I think it's probably you. <laughs> Maybe it's that big upload, Mark. <laughs> but uh, when you're moving from uh, from um, uh, Mac to PC or PC to Mac, the iTunes folder could just you just copy it. It's a good idea to have a copy of that folder anyway. That's your backup, and uh, just put the folder. Now, what I would suggest, just to make it easy, is copy it onto an intermediate thing like a, a USB key if it'll fit or a big hard drive if it's giant on the PC install iTunes and run it once because what iTunes then will it, on the PC it will create its iTunes folder structure and look and figure out where that is it should be it'll be in your music folder it'll be very obvious but that way you know exactly where to put the Mac folder and then just drag it over. Now, one issue that you might run into, you can only put, you know, only have iTunes authorized five accounts. So if you have copy protected music on your iTunes account, you'll only be able to play it on five different computers. I don't think that's going to be a problem. You might, however, consider if if you do have many computers accessing the same iTunes folder, in my opinion, rather than copying it onto each computer, a better solution would be have a central hard drive that all the computers can access. Um, This is where I think the world is moving. Network attached storage, sometimes they call it. It's a hard drive that has an iTunes server in it. It is visible as an iTunes library to all your computers, but there's only one. And the reason is Kid A buys a song. It shows up on Kid A's iTunes, but not on Kid B's iTunes. He buys the same song Actually, I guess that's going to be less of a problem with the new iTunes because it'll show up as something you can just download. So that does kind of solve the problem. I had a huge problem with my kids buying music I'd already bought. Now, admittedly, I was very flattered that my children liked the same music I did. That didn't last long. But anyway, when they were younger and and ignorant and hadn't heard rap music yet, they would buy some of the songs I'd already bought, and I would get mad. I said, well, I already own that. You should check. By having a central library, you eliminate that problem. Leo, Mike is in Scotland. Calling us via Skype. Hi, Mike. Hello, Leo. Thanks for taking the call again. Great to <laughs> talk to you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yes, yes. And and you sound a bit under the weather, but uh, I've got a little cold. I don't know how you you shouldn't you shouldn't get colds in the summer. You should only be in the winter. I don't understand this. Yeah, yeah. It's just not right. Okay, well, um, you, you probably can remember from last time I'm in the business of helping new users get started on computers, internet, etc. Yes. <clears throat> so mostly that's you know older people who have not had the chance so far. Um, but one of my biggest sort of bugbears is um, when I'm trying to help folk get started is, is all the updates, the operating system, the browser, Adobe, Flash, this, that, and the other. Um, it just seems to put yet another obstacle in the way of folk um, when they're just trying to get to grips with the with the basics. 
Um, so there's a couple of things. What I know you're, you know, you, you have a, an eye for the for the future of these things, and I'm wondering if it's likely to slow down. You know, the whole pace of change in browsers, etc. No, <laughs> no. In fact, you know what Mozilla now has done with the uh, with the uh, Firefox browser is they put out three versions in less than three months. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. it, everything is changing. Uh, this is welcome. Uh, welcome to the, the world of technology, where things do not slow down; they speed up. And uh, in, in, in a way, uh, I think you're right. Uh, it's very confusing for people who are coming to it. Um, it's hard to make choices, but it's also what makes it so exciting and uh, makes innovation so rapid. So I can't really complain about it. It is not going to slow down, Mike. I wish it would. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's about time to talk about tech. 8888, I don't know, Robin Leach somehow came through there. I don't know what happened. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's my phone number if you have a question, a comment, a suggestion. You want some hand-holding over the information superhighway. We had a call right before the uh, top of the hour, and I ran out of time, but I loved it from Scotland. Thank you, Scotland, for calling uh, about, about operating systems and how many updates we're getting now. And, of course, uh, Microsoft understands that all of these updates not only uh, uh, complicate your lives and use up time, but, frankly, scare people. I think they're more concerned about that than anything else. So they did consolidate all their updates into a monthly, second Tuesday of the month, massive update. And there was a big one last week. Um, nevertheless, all of these companies reserve the rights, and I think it's proper to do so, to do at what they call out-of-cycle updates whenever there's a, a big problem. And so the truth is we're seeing updates all the time. Now, uh, maybe our caller was talking a little bit more about just the fact that we get new versions of OS ten every uh, was it every year now, um, I, you know that's an interesting point. Uh, Apple doesn't make much money on its operating system upgrades. It's thirty dollars when Lion comes out. It'll be thirty dollars. It was thirty dollars for the last version, um, and because they're selling it on the App Store, uh, in effect, you can install it on all your computers. There's no kind of no limit on the number of computers you can install it on. So. It's very inexpensive to upgrade OS X. I did not uh, feel the urgency to upgrade to Snow Leopard. In fact, the only reason I've upgraded at this point to Snow Leopard is because more and more Apple applications require it. And I think you'll see the same thing with Lion, that you won't need to upgrade it immediately. But as as time goes by in six months or a year, and more and more applications say, well, we won't work unless you have Lion, you're going to have to upgrade. I think there are advantages to upgrading. Um, Apple adds new capabilities. They try new user interfaces. But it is confusing. This one's going to be particularly confusing because OS X Lion has some major cosmetic changes. Full screen windows. They're using a lot more a lot more gestures. Um, I haven't I haven't played with it yet, so I I don't know. It isn't out officially, and I wasn't willing to sign the non disclosure agreement as a developer that would allow me to see it. So uh, I will reserve judgment until we uh, see it. Uh, and I'll let you know then. I, I was very outspoken, and, and I think um, 
got a lot of heat from Apple fans. When Snow Leopard came out, I was I was very clear: you should not upgrade. Uh, you should wait to upgrade. I was right, by the way. It caused all sorts of problems for lots of people. Uh, and there was no need to upgrade to Snow Leopard until about six months ago. When the App Store came out, then probably was the time to upgrade. So I suspect the same thing will happen with Lion. An operating system upgrade is a big deal, regardless of how much it costs or how easy Apple seems to make it. It's a big deal. So when it comes out, and I think it will come out Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, when it comes out, probably would be a good idea to wait for just a day. I know it's so hard. Just a day or two and see if you hear howls of pain across the Internet. Will I wait? No. Of course not. <laughs> but I'm the tech guy. It's my job. Um, oh, Mike's still on the line. Good. I'm glad. I, I'm sorry we ran out of time when we were talking uh, earlier, Mike. I didn't mean to do short shrift. Um, right. Does that, does that kind of answer your concern? I mean, I, I think this is kind of where... Yes where we are in the in the computers you need updates yeah, for security yeah. and uh you know uh, t- things are changing and maybe we don't need yearly updates from apple uh-huh. I, I think the, the thing that really bugs me is is some of the browser updates where they do major facelifts and they change everything around which for all the people who i'm working with they just got used to yeah. one sort of yeah I understand. you know where my bookmarks are and where my you know, home pages, and and then all of a sudden it's all changed. And it's, uh, well, Firefox so, is particularly bad about that, isn't it? For a, a sort of um, keep it like it was button, you know, some some way where the browser um, manufacturers would or, or uh, providers would actually take, you know, give folk a, a way of, of keeping with their sort of um, interface as it was. Right. Uh, is it Firefox that you're recommending to your um, your your students? Well, I try to do it on a person-by-person basis because, you know, what suits one that won't necessarily suit all. So, you know, I pretty much try and go in and figure out what they, you know. You might, you might look at, at this point, you might look at uh, Chrome. Um, Chrome, uh-huh. the way Chrome does, the way Google, which makes the Chrome browser, is doing it, I think is a pretty good way to do it. First of all, they don't really announce the updates. They just happen. You don't have to think about it. Um, there, there usually is no restart required. Um, sometimes when you reboot your computer, it'll say, oh, by the way, I updated your browser. Um, and they have not changed the user interface on Chrome in many, many versions. Uh, I was just yeah. check. I just checked now. I'm at 12. I didn't even know I was at 12. I thought the current version was 11. Right. So Google yeah. has done, I think, a good job. There are other reasons to move people to Chrome. Uh, one is that Google provides Flash with Chrome, so there's no additional Flash installation. Uh, Chrome is, in my experience, as fast, if not faster, than any other browser out there, uh, and as secure. There do some things that I think are very smart. Each tab is its own instant instantiation of the browser, so there's no cross-tab communication. That's important for security. There are a number of things they do that really, I think, protect security. They're going to have PDF support built in. Um, it might actually be there now. I think it was going to be in version 12 that they were going to build that in. So they don't have to download an additional Adobe Reader. Again, uh, a thing that confuses a lot of people. Yeah. Have you yeah. Uh, have you recommended Chrome to some of your users, and have you had good results well, with I it? I used to, but then I had a few problems with it myself. Like uh, the Flash um, seemed to, it might just have been my 
computer. I'm, I'm running Windows 7 on a, an, an iMac, actually. Uh, I don't know if it was, but the, the, the flash, you know, the wee miserable face uh, kept appearing after. I'd, I'd loved it for a few months, and then suddenly I just had horrendous problems with, you know, videos. And, um, yeah, and that you could blame, maybe blame Adobe. It is Adobe code. It's not Google code for the flash. That, I love your right. description of the wee miserable face. You do see that from time to time, uh, which is that when a tab has crashed in Chrome, and by the way, this is a nice thing. You get that wee miserable face on a blue screen, but you can close that tab and Chrome has not crashed. That's because these tabs are independent of one another. And that's not true in a lot of browsers. I know it's not true in Internet Explorer. When you get a crash, the whole thing comes down. So I... Yeah. In my opinion, if you had to, if if you were going for one size fits all, I think Chrome would be a good choice. They haven't changed the UI in a long time. Okay, um, and then just a very quick question, if I may. If, um, I know we've hogged a fair bit of time, but um, is on the US side of things, uh, is there quite a drive to try and get um, older people using the internet, email, etc.? And if so. Are there some websites or whatever that you'd recommend from your side of the pond? I mean, there are things at our side, like, you know, there's quite a push um, sort of race online. It's called um, by, by the government, and it's Martha Lane Fox behind it. And uh, BBC WebWise has got excellent resources. But I just wondered if there was some, you know, if I can sort of pick your brains about things that side of the pond you know to help older users to get get up to speed on on using the internet email etc yeah you know mike i don't off the top of my head uh know but i'm sure that the chat room will have some uh suggestions for you i hope you're in the chat room it's at uh, irc.twit.tv <laughs> dr mom says hey Please ask him to define older people. This is in the chat room, so I can punch him in the snoot. <laughs> he better watch out. I bench pressed a hundred pounds today, says Doctor Mom. <laughs> uh, Doctor Mom, you are definitely not older people uh, by any by any definition of it. But I understand. You know, actually, I think this is great. Mike Mike takes it on himself to teach elders uh, how to use technology. I think that's fantastic, and I think more people should do that. Um, chat room, any recommendations for sites, not just for elders, but for anybody? Uh, who uh, wants to learn more about how to use technology? I'm not. I'm not sure what I would recommend these days. There is a great. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you one. TheElderGeek.com is fantastic. Elder Geek. Do a Google search for that one. Highly recommend. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Is this, what is this, the Harry Potter Remix Dubstep Edition? All I could find. There was, even in this little small town of Petaluma, Friday evening, there were people in tents all the way around the block lined up to see Harry Potter at midnight. Amazing. I didn't go. I don't, and no spoilers here. Please. Don't tell me if Dumbledore dies or anything. I don't want to know. 8888-ASK-LEO. You know, I love the books. I read the books to my kids uh, until they got too old. In fact, I remember when Abby was, uh, oh, she must have been eight or nine. Uh, it was the second book, The Chamber of uh, Secrets. Was that the first or the second one? We went to see J.K. Rowling. This was this is how early it was. She wasn't, it, she wasn't you know, the, the richest woman in England yet. And she was still doing book tours, and she was actually at a bookstore 
in, in, in Northern California, we went to see her. She did a little reading. She told some stories. She said, yeah, many people call her Hermy One. It's Hermione. You still had to tell people that then. And we got her, uh, got her autograph on the Chamber of Secrets. That was cool. I said to Abby, I said, Abby, you will look back on this. And it'll be as if you met, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien. You will, have, you will have met somebody who is very important. Even then, it was pretty obvious. And I, think, I don't think she's gone on book tour ever since. So that was fun. Addie, speaking of uh, the UK, in London. Hi, Addie. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Oh, hi, Leo. Thanks for taking my call. Great to talk to you. Yeah, um, I'm actually, for those who don't know, I'm actually Man 423 in your um, chat room. Hello, chat room! <laughs> yes. Um, oh. um, yeah, so... Oh, um, what was I going to say? Oh, um... Yeah. <laughs> Are you nervous, Addie? Take a deep breath. Yeah. <gasps> I... I mean, this is... This is, like, what, the third or second time I've been on radio, and, um... I I still get nervous. I know. You know, can I tell you a secret? Uh, occasionally I will I will be listening to talk radio and I will get so incensed or irate or excited that I will call to go on the show even today. And I get nervous too. I don't it's the funniest thing. You wouldn't think I'd be nervous. It's what I do for a living and I still get nervous. So it's completely normal. But here's the good news, Addy. Unlike those big talk shows, nobody's listening to this one. It's just you and me, kid. So tell me, what, what is your question for me? Well, here's my question. Um, you see, I have started own podcast, soon to be competition with you. Good, I love it. We need more competition. What's the name of your show? Um, well, I don't, well, I've not actually come here to give it a plug. I've, um, actually wow, that's really nice of you, because very, very <laughs> I think most of the people who call these days just want to plug their, their thing. Exactly. And, um, I mean, I'd love to get more listeners in, but... Well, then give it a plug. I don't mind. I mean, as long as um, the radio radio stations across America don't mind as well. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think they do. If It's a little late to worry about that. Hmm. They already gave me a show. <laughs> um, okay, the um, show is named the MHF Tech Show. M H F, as in fun. Yes. M H M H F Tech Show. All right. And what yeah. kind of stuff do you do on the M H F Tech Show? Um, well, we just cover just general stuff in um, tech. We cover um, some. Well, we're seeing. Well, as you've, um, if you listen to our previous episode, which you have, you're smart. You're smart because you are. You're saying these are beta versions of the show. You're you're just starting. And so you don't want to create an expectation. We did this, too, in many of our shows. We, when, when we launched them, we just say, uh, this is, we're testing this out right now. So you're doing audio. I see you're, you're using Tumblr, which I think is a very good choice for your host, T-U-M-B-L-R dot com. Yeah. Yeah. And plus we have show notes as well. I see that as well. This is great. So what can I do to help you? Even though you will be a comp- competitor... I'm glad to help you. What can I what What can I do to make your uh, make your day better? Well, the thing is, I need to get myself some good microphones. Well, actually, probably one for the time being. Maybe then. So tell me how you do the show now. You record into your laptop. Um, I have a Mac. I can't say which one in case if any thieves come round to my house. 
Um, but the point is, is that I have a Soundcraft Notepad 102 mixer from which I, no, that's, um, that's for later. But the point is I have a, just a standard cheap USB mic, which right. is around 15 pounds. And, um, that goes straight into the USB and I um, record via GarageBand and then take care of the rest in post. So you're not using a mixer right now. You may someday use a mixer. Uh, you're using a USB mic. Um, probably the Rode Podcaster is the best USB mic uh, out there. R-O-D-E. Um, they're... About the road. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Of course, yep. everybody it, nowadays uses the blue mics. Um, the the most popular blue mic. I'm not that fond of it, to be honest with you. Is um, uh, the Yeti. So if you Google blue Yeti, you may feel a little silly typing that in. But when you hit return, you'll actually get to the blue website, which is bluemic.com, and see the Yeti. Um, it is a USB mic. So most, so just to, uh, for people to understand, traditional microphones, professional microphones, the Heil PR40 I'm using right now, for instance, have kind of a funny Canon plug connector on the back. They call it an XLR connector. And can't be just plugged right into the computer. You need a converter for it. Um, and when you convert it, you'll take the analog output of the mic and, and the converter will turn it into data, which can then be passed into the computer via USB. That is, by the way, the best way to connect a microphone to a computer, to have the conversion outside the computer where it's not so noisy uh, via USB. Another way to go, which is not a bad way to go, and Bob Heil's going to yell at me, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sure uh, makes a microphone that's used in rock and roll clubs worldwide because it's so tough, the SM58. And it's really, for uh, its price, which is around $100, it's really a surprisingly good microphone. The problem is it is a standard, uh, you know, um, professional mic. That means it has an XLR connector. But Sure also makes a device that attaches to the microphone or the microphone cable that converts it. And if you go on Amazon, uh, you can get the two together for under $200. Um, it, is, it is a good mic for a couple of reasons. It has really good uh, noise rejection. So you don't have to have a special soundproof room. It will pick up your voice, but it won't pick up much else in the room. And then the, the Shure uh, converter, I think, is this, what is it, the CLU? I can't remember. But if you look on Amazon uh, for the SM58 microphone, You'll see a bundle where they uh, they bundle that with the converter, the USB converter. That's not a bad choice. Roughly the same cost as a Yeti, and I think a better microphone, personally, a better sound. Bob does sell uh, a very good the PR30 or a PR20 microphone, which would be absolutely comparable to the Shure SM58. You can go to HeilSound.com, but you'd still need that converter just to convert it into uh, USB. Highly recommend doing that. You'll get a much better mic if you get a traditional pro mic with a converter than you will if you get a USB mic. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Good luck, Adi. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Google's quarterly results came out uh, yesterday. or day, Was it yesterday or day before yesterday? July 14th. I have lost track of time. That was Thursday, wasn't it? Wow. 32% increase in revenue for Google. A new record, $9 billion <laughs> in, uh, in quarterly revenue. Uh, but one of the... That, yeah, and that's great. Yeah, of course you're making money. What a surprise. But one of the things I thought was most interesting is that Larry Page, the new CEO, and who, by the way, 
is doing a, a great job. I don't know if you have been paying attention, but it strikes me that Google has just shown in the last six months since he took over in April. Was It's not even six months. Was that three months? Uh, Google has been on a tear. And one of the introductions that Google made just a couple of weeks ago, Google Plus, which is their kind of social network, huge. Larry said, in two weeks, and, and remember, this is in beta. This is not in public release. You had to get an invitation to join. Uh, they're slowly ramping it up. In just two weeks, 10 million signups for Google Plus. They are now sharing 1 billion items a day on Google Plus. The Plus One button, which is a kind of a side side project that goes along with this, is being served 2.3 billion times a day. A huge success. And I have to say, Google Plus is uh, is kind of addictive. It's kind of fun. The people who use it now say they can't stop using it. They just they're hooked. Uh, it has it has taken the place, at least among the geeks, not so much among real people, but among the geeks, it has taken the place of Twitter, Facebook, and MySpace combined. And I say MySpace mostly because Tom Anderson, who founded MySpace, you know, Tom, the guy we were all friends with when you got on MySpace, Tom Anderson is one of the most prolific, active, followed people on Google+. It's kind of amazing. I've I've hesitated talking about it too much uh, because it isn't open to the public, and I don't want to talk about something that you can't, uh, most people can't participate in. But stand back because it is going to be. I think it really is going to be a an important player. I don't think it's going to put Facebook out of business. No, I don't think it's going to put Twitter out of business. Well, probably not. But um, I do think that it is very compelling. What and, and well, here's another challenge for me, and one of the reasons I don't talk about it. And I'm not sure how to describe it, how to quantify why it's so compelling. It's kind of like Twitter, only there's no limitation in how long your post could be. People have put sixty thousand word blog posts in there. Most of them aren't that long. <laughs> Most of them are about the length of Twitter posts. But you can also post images and movies and animated GIFs in your post, and they're, and they're visible in line. The biggest change from Twitter, though, is that you can comment on a post, and all the comments on those posts show up underneath the post. So it's a little more like a blog in that uh, you'll see a post, and then there'll be, there'll be comments related to that post following it. What that means is that you get kind of the immediacy of Twitter... And the trivialness of Twitter, of course. But you also get engage- what we call in the business engagement, conversation going on around stuff. And sometimes very good conversations, very interesting conversations. Google also has added a very, I think, significant feature, a way to organize who you listen to and who you talk to. So they call that circles. So you create circles, kind of any arbitrary number of circles. I have circles for friends, acquaintances, celebrities, tech journalists. If I just want entrepreneurs, if I just want to see what the entrepreneurs have to say, I just click the link on the left that says, show your entrepreneur circle. And suddenly the noise goes away in my Google Plus stream. And all I see is posts from entrepreneurs. If I just want to see what my family has to say, I click the family circle. And 
just my family. I can also send messages to individuals, to circles, to multiple circles, or publicly. So this means that you have the ability to do private messaging, to create a circle for your work mates, for instance, and com- communicate with them, to very, uh, I think, granularly control who sees what. I think that that's very powerful. It means you can use this for a variety of purposes. Although I would say most users, I think most users are using it for public posts, kind of like Twitter. But of course, we don't know. I mean, some people could be using this just to kind of communicate with their family and nothing else. We wouldn't see those, would we? Partly, uh, you know, the success of Google Plus is because it's new and all of these very interesting people, the people who've been invited to participate, are playing with it and putting great stuff in it. So it's become a repository of fantastic stuff. Will it will it stay as interesting and as compelling? I, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, as usual with this kind of thing, it only is as compelling as the people who use it and the amount of effort and time they put into it and the quality of their posts. I think it has some potential, though. It's very interesting and and. It's growing rapidly. He, he, uh, Larry Page said 10 million users on Thursday. It's possible that there will be twice that many in the next couple of days. They seem to have opened up invitations. If you know somebody who's in Google+, you could ask them for an invitation. Um, don't ask me. They've asked me. They're, they're, be, they're being pretty clear with everybody, but particularly with uh, a few of the larger users, I include myself, that you should only add people you know. Don't just kind of like offer invitations publicly to a large number of people. So I haven't done that. Um, but I have invited many of my friends. And um, and I've invited my entire family. But uh, apparently none of them <laughs> have any interest at all in Google+. Plus. That's fine. They don't, they don't let me follow them on, uh, on Facebook either. Let's say hi to Quentin. He's in Florida, our next caller. Hi, Quentin. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo. What can I do for you today? So uh, you've transformed me into a Google fan. So I think Google always just some uh, credit. Yeah. And and now, turn- in what way? In, in terms of search? No, you've always used Google for search, right? Oh yeah, but I just uh, I'm trying to get into the Google contacts and changing my email to a Gmail account. And the issue I'm uh, I'm a BlackBerry guy. And I'm trying to get my BlackBerry contacts into Google contacts. And I'm just having some trouble getting the fields to match. Yeah, that is that is troubling because, of course, you have different fields in Google contacts than you have in BlackBerry. Right. So is, is that a possibility? Is it uh, something that can work? I would, I, uh, what fields in particular are you trying to port over? Well, you know, I got most of the fields actually going over. The one I have a problem with is the second address field. So the first address is the street, and then the suite number um, is combining. So I was using the Outlook um, sync, and the Outlook combines the street numbers. And then when I export it from Outlook to Google, it doesn't recognize. Yeah, you know what might try doing is instead of using that Outlook exporter, which sounds like it's mangling... You're a setup. Uh, take the um, BlackBerry stuff and export it into a tab delimited or commented delimited file, a CSV file. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and then import that not into Google Context necessarily, but into a spreadsheet. You could use the Google spreadsheet and Google Docs. What will happen is then each field will be a column in the spreadsheet. And you can use the spreadsheet features to separate or put together columns that you want and then import the spreadsheet into Google Contacts. Okay, because I tried the CSV into Contacts and that wasn't working either. That wasn't working either. Well, that you may need to do, that's why you put use this spreadsheet as kind of an intermediate. It may, that you may need to just do some massaging of it. The good news is you only have to do this once. <laughs> once you're done, you got it. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Who's on the phone today, Gina? Gina Yates. Gina Yates. So it's, it's safe to say Gina because it's <laughs> they're both named Gina. Gina Yates on the phone today. Thank you, Gina, for doing such a great job. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. The phone number is 8888-ASK-LEO. But, you know, I, I should mention the best thing to remember, if you, have, if you have but one thing you can store in your memory about this show, is the website techguylabs.com. Because once you get to that website, you'll find links to uh, the chat room, a great place to go. The phone number is there. All the stations are there. Everything you need to know is available at techguylabs.com, including notes from each and every show. This is episode 787. So uh, you can go there and you can... uh, James DeRuvo's writing down everything I say as if it has some import. And... um, you, you can find it all there. Tech, so that's all you have to remember. The phone number, everything is there. Techguylabs.com. Back to the phones we go. Eric is in New Jersey. Hey, Eric, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Um, I'm about to buy a Mac, and I want to develop iPhone applications, and I was just wondering if the chip speed is the same speed. Would a Mac Mini be the same speed as a iMac comparable? Um, no. The chip speed is just a small part of the total calculation, of course. Uh, it'll be close. A Mini is a not a bad choice at all, especially for your first Mac, because you probably have a keyboard and mouse and monitor left over from your last computer. You just plug it into exactly, the Mini. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So it's the cheapest way to get into a Mac, 700 bucks as opposed to... Eleven or twelve hundred bucks, um, and I think a, good, a perfectly good way to go. The hard drives are a little smaller. You you know you you, you should put four gigs of RAM in it. I guess they probably come with four gigs. Um, let me let me look, let me look at the Apple Store. What is the what? Which mini are you looking at? Which processor? Uh, well, I was going to wait until the uh, Apple refreshed the new one. They may so. refresh. They're 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 well overdue for a refresh. So that's that's probably a good idea and if they do refresh they'll refresh this week i think okay so but the big difference right now at least is that the current minis don't look at the clock speed look at the processor the current minis are core 2s core yeah two those are. that is not nearly as capable a processor as the new iMac processors which are all i5 and i7 processors those are much much faster even at the same clock speed but if you're developing for an iPhone, you don't need super speed. You, what you'd almost rather have is a big screen. You have a nice monitor. Yes, I do. Yeah. See, I think that's probably more to the point than the speed. Now you can. I just got a new iMac uh, 
Um, and one of the things they're doing with the iMac, which really makes a difference in speed, is it ha- you can put two drives in it. And uh, one of them, now this is not cheap, but one of them is a solid-state drive. The other is a regular spinning drive. That makes a huge difference. So I got the 2.7 gigahertz i5-based Mac, uh, iMac with a 256-gig solid-state drive. That's what the operating system and apps are on. And then you have a spinning drive with all your data. More than the speed of the processor, that makes a speed, big difference in the overall speed of the computer. You can't do that in a mini. But I don't think you should worry about that, frankly. Let's save the money and get a big screen or use your big screen. That's nice. The bigger the screen, the easier it'll be to develop because when you develop for the iPhone, you have an emulator that is the iPhone. It's an iPhone screen on your screen plus all your programming stuff. You want to have that. You want to you want to be able to have enough screen real estate to easily use it all simultaneously. That will make a big difference. So, Eric, I don't think there's any reason not to get the Mini, especially if price is a consideration. No, it's not as fast. Is it fast enough? Plenty. Plenty. And you're right. I would wait. I wouldn't buy any Apple hardware right now, unless it's the IMAX because they just got refreshed. But uh, I would wait. There, there are strong suspicions, and these are only rumors. We got to tell you because Apple doesn't say that when Lion comes out, they will update at least the MacBook Air. Very likely the Mac Pro and the Mac Mini. The Mac Mini should be updated because. Apple wants to put this Thunderbolt port on all its stuff. The Mini is well overdue for an update. Needs newer processors. Needs Thunderbolt. You want it. What you'd like with a Mac Mini is is uh, you'd like Thunderbolt as the uh, connector. That'll give you access to big screens, fast hard drives, lots of cool stuff. You will want um, an i5 processor, much faster processor, and you'll want four gigs of RAM for sure. And I, I suspect you're going to see that uh, next week. So so wait. And if you don't, if it doesn't come out with Lion, then I don't know when it's going to come out. They're really overdue. Eugene, somewhere in Northern California. Hi, Eugene. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Yes, hi. How hi. are you, Leo? Well, I'm great. Welcome. Yes, thanks. Uh, I was kind of watching you on my iPhone today uh, for the first time on your Twitch TV. Hey! Um, in which case... Uh, I was disappointed and, and exhilarated at the same time. Now, why were you disappointed? Oh, because I'm not as good-looking and charming as I sound. Well, no, that's not entirely true. <laughs> um, for the first time, I've seen your picture, um, in which case uh, you were a little bit older than I thought. Ah, yes, I'm an old man. No, uh, don't, let but, the, don't let the white hair fool you. I'm actually only 32, but I just prematurely gray. <laughs> No, you do have that voice, but by the same token, uh, you are very suave. I am uh, very suave. Thank you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why you think that, but I thank you. No, no, no. You you look good on 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 the uh, on the uh, Twitch TV uh, broadcast. Well, thank you. Um. Anyway, I, I, I'm just a truck driver, and uh, don't say with- just a truck driver. You are the engine that powers the economy of this great nation. No, no, I, I, I do understand that one. However, um, the dilemma that I have is that, you know, I'm looking to, to stream media, and uh, with data caps across the board, um, there doesn't seem to be a very good solution. I agree. And, boy, you know, the, the data caps for you as a mobile user are, of course, far lower than the, the caps that, 
the, 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 the ISPs are putting on, but they're, even those caps will be too little. Mark my words soon. You know, Comcast is capping at 250 gigabytes, AT&T at 150 gigabytes. And, of course, if you're mobile, 5 gigabytes. But none of that's going to be enough once we all start watching Netflix streaming and downloading movies. And, and you know, I mean, this stuff eats bandwidth. And, you know, the sad thing is there really isn't a limit of bandwidth. There's no lack of bandwidth. It's, it's not like water or even electricity. We don't have to generate bandwidth. We don't have to create bandwidth. There's no drought of bandwidth my friend Dane Jasper, who's an internet service provider, a company called SonicNet, he says, eat all the bits you want, we'll make more. So really, uh, you know, he, he now look at this is a guy who has an internet service provider. You know, he is an internet service provider. He says, I love it when he, people use a lot of data. He says, the cost for us of data is putting in the initial switching hardware. But once that's in there, the bits themselves are very inexpensive. They don't cost us a lot to acquire the access to the internet that kind of thing. It's not expensive. Internet service providers like Comcast, like Verizon, like AT&T put bandwidth caps on for one reason and one reason only. Because they don't want you to start watching TV on the internet because it's going to put them out of business with their high-priced premium television provision. So this is all about business. It has nothing to do with bits. Bits should be virtually free. Now, mobile's a little different because when you're on mobile, you're sharing the bandwidth that's available to each cell site. The way they the way they get the data to a mobile device, like your you know, 3G modem in your rig, is by providing a, a backhaul and internet access to the, the the cell site. And each cell site as you move along has has to have its own backhaul. That that, that adds up. That's expensive. And you know how many megabits of data are you going to put on a cell site? And maybe let's say let's say you you go out and you get a couple of megabits of data on that cell site. Well, it's fine if two people are using it. You're going to get great throughput. What if twelve people use it? What if a hundred people use it? And this is the problem you get in big cities like San Francisco, where AT and T can't put any more cell sites in. They're having trouble getting enough data to the cell sites. Everybody's using iPhones. They're all on the same you know twenty cell sites, and they're just killing them. So there is a problem there, and I can understand why, why mobile carriers say we've got to put bandwidth limits. I think ultimately, though, it's, it's exactly the same for mobile. It's just a little bit behind, as it is for landlines. All of these caps are about controlling how you use the Internet. They don't want you to use the Internet in the way it was designed. They want to charge you for watching a movie. They want to charge you for watching streaming television. They want to charge you for downloading music or listening to Spotify. They don't like it that that costs you less than their premium products, and they're anti-competitive, and they're being allowed to do so. Leo Laporte, the tech company. Good day to you, Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about computers and the internet and cell phones and camcorders and home theater and all that jazz. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's my phone number, 888-827-5536. Toll free from anywhere outside the U.S. It's uh, Skype out. But inside the U.S., toll free, 8888-ASK-LEO. And uh, we're going to do a lot of calls this hour. I'm going to take a bunch of calls. We'll start right away. 
with Eugene in Northern California. Hi, Eugene. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Yeah, we helped through the break. Um, we were just talking about uh, Internet usage and data caps. Yes. Uh, boy, and you got me all head up for a moment there. I was uh, During the break, we were talking a little bit about a guy in Seattle, Andre Vrignot, who is a Comcast customer, who got banned for one year from Comcast for exceeding their data caps for two months straight. Uh, get ready, folks. It's just the beginning. These guys really don't want you to be watching Netflix or downloading music. Using, you know, he said the the last he was using Carbonite.com for backup, and then the last straw was Amazon Music. He started uploading all his music to Amazon, which Amazon encourages you to do, and he thinks that's what finally put him over the limit. And Comcast said, "Sorry, dude, you're off the air. No more internet for you." So what do you do? So Eugene, you're traveling around. You need 3G, right? Well, yeah, I have an uh, an iPhone 3G, but um, they don't like you to tether that phone. Um, so I've even looked into the, uh, Virgin Mobile, uh, Virgin Mobile's the cheapest and they use the Sprint PCS network. Now that's the thing is you got to think about what network you're going to be on. Right. But the problem with that is that, uh, I guess that even with, uh, Virgin Mobile now, they have a data cap on that as well. And yeah, everybody's got a data cap. 7, um, there seems to be a problem. Yeah. So the the device that you're probably going to use, I would guess, is something called a MiFi, right? Uh, a MiFi, yeah, M-I-F-I. And, and what that does is uh, it's a little credit card-sized device that gets its Internet access from the mobile network, 3G or 4G network. And then it's a wireless access point for Wi-Fi. And so you can connect up to five devices to it using their Wi-Fi interfaces. So your laptop, your iPhone, all of that will use the data from the MiFi. The problem is that Virgin Mobile, Sprint, and Verizon, all the companies that sell these MiFi devices, limit you to five gigabytes a month, uh, and and if and it and it gets expensive after five gigabytes. They don't they don't ca- cut you off necessarily, but they'll start charging you through the roof. Probably the best deal. Uh, I think it's still available. The problem is it's in limited areas is Sprint's 4G, their clear wire, because as a promotional tool, I don't think this will last, they have been offering no-cap 4G access. You know, they're going to really have to rethink these caps because when you're getting 4G speeds, and 4G supposedly is as fast as 100 megabits. I don't think we're getting that on clear wire. But when you're, when you're at these higher speeds, it's really easy to use up 5 gigs. It doesn't take any time at all. So I don't, you know, you have to look at where you're going to be driving and where the 4G regions are. Now, of course, uh, they'll, they'll give you 3G access as well. You don't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stop working when you get out of the 3G, the 4G areas. But, um, you know, you're really going to want to be on 4G for the best speed. So I would take a look at, I think, the chat room's telling me this is the case, that they're still offering no-cap subscriptions from Sprint. But that's not going to last. That's not going to last. Um, and in fact, somebody in the chat room is saying, "Yeah, he's had it. He's had it cut off." So, um, yeah, I'm just looking through the chat room, see what their experience has been. Um, no cap on 4G, five cap, five gigs on 3G. That's the Overdrive Pro. That'll give you eight connections, much like a MiFi card. That's probably the best. Probably the best bet. 
Good luck on your travels. David in Michigan, you're next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello? Hey, David. Hi. Um, I'm all ready to uh, get Lion next week or whenever it comes out. Right. But I still have all these PowerPC applications I still want to run. And I want to install um, an earlier version on an external hard drive. Yeah, that's a good idea. Very simple. In fact, what I would do right now is clone your current internal hard drive to that external drive using something like SuperDuper, which is free. It'll make a bootable drive. You'll, you'll see in the settings. Make this drive bootable. Say yes. That external drive now is an exact duplicate of your current drive running Snow Leopard. And all you have to do when you reboot your Macintosh is hold down the option key. And if you've got both an internal and an external bootable drive, did I say externable? I think I did. If you have both internal and external bootable drive, then when you hold down the option key, the Mac will say, oh, I see two different operating systems I could boot from. Which would you like to do? And you get to choose uh, it. What if it's on a partition on an external drive? Same thing, as long work? as it's bootable. Okay, another thing. Um, is it possible to install uh, OS X on Parallels? Or not? That's an interesting question. In theory, it is, but um, I've always installed Windows with Parallels. Parallels is a virtualization manager. Um, that's, that's a great question. I don't know. Anybody in the chat room know? Is it possible to use virtualization to run two versions of OS X? I kind of like your original idea better. Um, I like the idea of uh, having an external drive. Oh, that's right. They, now, they say in Lion, and I haven't tried this, but they say in Lion, the people have reviewed the, the pre-release, that this capability will be built into Lion. So, yes, you will be able to do that with Lion and Parallels or VMware Fusion. You will have to own VMware Fusion or Parallels. But in Lion, you will be able to have a, an older version of OS X running. Really? Yeah. Uh, could I run, like, Tiger? Supposedly. So you can't do it with the current Snow Leopard. I haven't tried Lion, but those who have reviewed the Gold Master of Lion say, yes, it's possible. Like, even though if it, like, maybe if it were PowerPC? Yeah, sure. But that's probably why they do it. Uh, because you need Rosetta to run those PowerCPC programs, and they've, of course, left that out of Lion. Um, because uh, Tiger can run OS 9 as well. Right. So they've... OS 9 application. Right. Then you could do Carbon. You could do Rosetta. You'd be set. You wouldn't have any apps that wouldn't run. I so, do think I do think that it's still not a bad idea to, to make a bootable external drive. It's a great thing to have mm-hmm. uh, for, for rescue operations, if nothing else. I always keep an external uh, drive that I can boot from uh, on OS 10. It's one of the things that OS 10 does quite nicely, I think. Mm, okay. Okay. So it's not a bad idea. To, in fact, I'm, I, maybe this would be a good time to install Tiger on an external drive and have it ready. And uh, then if you needed to run a PowerPC uh, application <coughs> or even an a, a, a OS 9 application, system, what do they call it? System 9 application, you could. Um, you do, you know, because you need the Rosetta or you need the uh, the Carbon or the... You know, the additional add-ons that they've taken out of Lion. Apple's very, you know, they're very good at that. It's one of the things Apple does best is leave the past in the dust. It's one of the things Microsoft has a hard time doing with Windows. In fact, you're going to see this with Windows 8, which we now think will come out next year for uh, Microsoft. 
that even though Windows 8 has a slick new user interface, it is very tiley and touchy and, uh, and very different from traditional versions. Underneath, there's still Windows. You'll still be able to run your Windows 7, your Windows Vista, your, probably even your Windows 95, 98, and ME versions, <laughs> your Windows XP versions. That's because Microsoft sells into business, and a lot of businesses just don't upgrade those programs. They don't want to. In some cases, they can't. So uh, downward compatibility has always been a priority for Microsoft. A little different on Apple's part. Apple's really happy to say, yeah, sorry, you can't do it. And at some point, you're probably going to see that, uh, you know, for many, many programs that ran pre-Lion will not run in Lion, I suspect. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's my phone number. I'll take your call when we come back right after this. Little uh, curb your enthusiasm music there. Kyle, you're good. You're real good. It's his secret way of telling me to calm down. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. I refuse to calm down. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number website, techguylabs.com. Back to the phones. And from uh, Tennessee, it's Tim on the line. Hi, Tim. Yeah, Leo. Are you there? I'm here. Hey, I have a question for you. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm trying to install an ATOC Qualm AC TV stick on Windows Vista 64-bit home premium, and uh, it, it shows up as a USB interface, human interface device, and says when I try to install the drivers for the stick that the drivers are already up to date. Yeah, that's wrong because it isn't a uh, HID. So what right. he's, he's trying to install a TV tuner. And uh, for some reason, Windows thinks that it's a human interface device. That's a mouse or a keyboard or a trackpad. It's not. So it's very strange that it thinks that. Um, do you have the driver? Is it a USB device or is it a card? Uh, yeah. It is a USB device. All right. That's so correct. you know, that, and the rule number one on Windows, and I, I don't know what you're doing, but the rule number one on Windows is always, because of this, by the way, Always install the USB drivers for the device before you plug in the device. Did you do that? Uh, it won't let me. It, it says the device is not connected. You can't install the drivers before you connect the device? No. Well, there's something wrong then. Are you on 64-bit home? Is that what you said? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. But I bet you it's a, I bet you it's a driver incompatibility. You've got to get the sixty-four bit drivers for that tuner card. Okay. This is an unfortunate problem in general because Microsoft is pushing people towards sixty-four bit Windows. Um. In fact, if you buy a new computer, most of the time it comes with sixty-four bit Windows. You might say, "Well, what's wrong with that? The hardware is." support 64-bit. What's wrong with that? Well, the problem is that Windows 64 has a very different way of doing drivers. That Now, oh boy, I, I realize we've gone way off into nerdland here, but it's not so hard to understand, really, if you think about it. In order for an operating system to talk to all the different hardware we plug into it, it needs to know a little something about the hardware. Now, you can't build that into the operating system because uh, even... Six months after the operating system comes out, somebody's going to come up with a new doohickey that the operating system doesn't know about. So you have to build in some capability for the operating system to learn about new hardware. That's what a driver is. A driver is a little bit of software that interprets, translates between the device and Windows. 
when you install the driver, Windows says, oh, I understand you're a TV tuner card, and I know how to talk to you. The driver tells it that. Now, unfortunately, the way USB works is when you plug in a USB device, you already have USB drivers on your Windows system. They're they're called the human interface drivers because, well, think about it. If you don't have keyboard and mouse, you can't install drivers. (laughs) You need a keyboard and you need to access the drives in the keyboard and the mouse to even be able to go so far as to install drivers. So they build in some basic drivers that give you basic functionality. Well... Unfortunately, it's not unusual for Windows to mistake that new doohickey you're installing as the old keyboard or mouse doohickey and say, yeah, I got drivers for that. I can talk to you and be done with it. Except that it isn't right. It doesn't talk to it. It didn't get the right translator. So the problem is that the driver is not working. It's not compatible. Because drivers for 64-bit Windows are completely different beasts, they have to be rewritten entirely. Some companies have not caught up yet and are still only doing 32-bit drivers. Microsoft, it's a chicken and egg problem. Microsoft knows companies aren't going to write 64-bit drivers until there are a lot of 64-bit users. So what they've done is they essentially have forced the issue by by putting 64-bit windows on all these new machines. And then lots of people call me, like Tim, saying, well, then my hardware won't work. And then what I have to tell, my, Microsoft is basically forcing me to do is to tell Tim, oh, you have to contact the manufacturer of that new hardware, the ATSC tuner card, and tell them you need 64-bit drivers. And Microsoft figures if enough people do that, then the company that makes the card will rewrite the drivers and everybody will be happy. And you know, in a couple of years, that's probably true. It'll all be over with. But right now we're in that transition period where there are a lot of companies that don't make 64-bit drivers or their 64-bit drivers don't work well, and so you have compatibility issues. So I suspect that's the problem. Now, uh, maybe, there may be other problems. In fact, PC Guy in our chat room is making a good suggestion. It may merely be that you have to run that driver installation as an administrator. So right-click on the install program and, and select Run as Administrator. See if that works. Um. You know, it's just, it's a chicken and egg. We're in the middle of it right now. The only thing that gripes me a little bit is there isn't a a really compelling reason to go to 64-bit Windows. It's not faster. In in many cases, it's slower. The difference between 32-bit and 64-bit is 64-bit operates on data in bigger chunks. So, you know, that's fine. And if if what you're doing is... um, processing video or pictures or audio that's good you can process in bigger chunks but if you're doing a word processor it doesn't help you at all a lot of the things we do which is our typing and browsing don't need 64-bit the only reason that you want 64-bit operating system is if you have more than four gigs of ram because and it's not, and by the way this is also an artificial limit microsoft essentially artificially limits 32-bit versions of windows to four gigs of ram they could have made it work with more, but they didn't. So, you know, you can. There's a lot of blame to go around here. Most of it ends up at uh, the Pacific North Northwest. Craig in uh, is it Barrie, Ontario, Canada? Hey, Craig, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo, how are you doing? Wonderful. Thanks for calling. I have uh, two podcast-related questions. Um, I have a podcast I started a while back. And I'm doing a lot of interviews over Skype. And 
I don't do the podcast live. It's all pre-recorded. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to find a better way to record phone calls. And I, I sent you an email about it uh, before, and you'd recommend it, uh, Pamela. But I yeah. found I wasn't getting really good audio quality out of Pamela. And I okay. wanted to know whether there was any other program that you could recommend for recording phone calls through Skype. So... Uh- yeah, so this is an interesting question because if you're using Skype and you want to record the calls, there's Call Recorder on the Mac, there's Pamela and some other programs on Windows, but they're only going to get as good a quality as Skype allows. And if, if the Skype call doesn't sound that good, they're not going to get anything better than what the Skype call is. I presume that Pamela is getting exactly the correct audio, right? It sounds the same as the call, right? Yeah, well, I tried. I actually tried another one called VodBurner, which was one that was, um, I, I don't know if it was built into Skype, but it came as one of Skype's add-ons. And it was all right, but the problem I found with VodBurner is it'll only export it as a video file, even if it's just even if you're just recording right. the audio. Right. And then you have to strip the the video track out of it to just get your audio. But it got better quality audio than Pamela. Yeah, it did. In fact, I found hmm. that the it was a lot. Uh, the sound was a lot warmer. It was a lot clearer than Pamela, and that kind of surprised That's me. That's odd. I, I I wonder if there's settings in Pamela that can change. Um, the kind of recording, the quality of recording you're doing. I mean, if you could increase the bit rate, for instance, or compress it a different way, because really it's it should be similar. I'll tell you of an interesting idea, though, that might help you. Hang on. We'll talk about it when I come back. Leo Laporte, The Tech Guy. All the pressure. Leo Laporte, The Tech Guy. There is pressure. One week from tomorrow, after the show, I walk out the door of the Tech Guy Labs, never to return. Now, don't get all work. Now, no. The radio show continues. It's the studio that is being abandoned. We're moving down the street two blocks to a facility we've been building since January. It took us almost eight months to complete this, but it is beautiful, and I'm really excited to move into the new uh, Brickhouse Studios. And I invite you all to visit if you're ever in Northern California, the Petaluma area, come by and say hi because it's we love having a. It's we've always had an open studio policy. We'll continue to do so, uh, and it's just so much fun. I'm very excited, but there is pressure because that means we have seven days to get this thing ready. <laughs> Fortunately, most of the pressure is on my staff. Me, I'm just sitting here suffering. <laughs> And writing the checks. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. The Gizwiz, Dick D. Bartolo, will join us in just a moment. He's going to be out here actually next week to uh, inaugurate. Is that next week? Yeah. <gasps> to inaugurate our new studios. Holy cow. Did I say next week? Next week. Craig in Barrie, Ontario. Oh, yeah, we were talking to Craig. I'm sorry I put you on hold. We were talking to Craig about uh, recording Skype. Now, I... Um, I have a couple of solutions. One is from a, uh, a couple of people in our chat room who really like Power Grammo. Have you ever tried that one, Craig? No, I was actually watching the chat room feed go by, and I was writing down. Yeah, they had a lot of recommendations, Power Grammo. So this is okay. another way to record Skype calls. See, it's funny because you would think you could just record the call. You just, you know, you're, you're getting the audio. Why can't you record it? But you can only record your end. Normally, you can't record no, the my, other end. My, inco- my end comes out really well because I went and bought a new microphone. Right. And it's, it's a good quality sound. But I find that the other end is really tinny. And I, and I see they were talking about recording the track separately, which is something that I do. But I just want to know whether there was a software out there that... Well, would, it's much would, easier. And in fact, that's how we do all of our shows. You know, the, the other way of doing it is called a double ender. That's what they're talking about. Where each 
and records his own call. So you record your call. You're getting great quality because it's local. And the person you're talking to records his call. He's getting great quality because it's local. And then he uploads that file to you and you mix the two together. That makes it sound like you're both in the same room. I mean, it really is the way to get perfect audio, but it's more work. And it takes uh-huh. more time because he has to record it and he has to upload it to you. And, uh, and then you have to merge the two together. It's not a huge amount of work to merge them together if you have a good uh, audio editing program. That's a lot of shows do that. I don't do it because I'm in a hurry to get my shows out the door and I don't like to work. So we just record it and let the chips fall where they may. It's not always the best sounding, but at least uh, gets the job done. All right, I'll have to have a look at that. The other question I had was about iTunes. Now, I uploaded my podcast to iTunes and I'm on like the fifth episode now. And iTunes isn't showing my album art or the author name. And I, I went back because I, I didn't embed the information in the ID3 tag. You did or did not? I, I didn't initially, yeah. and then I went back and did it, but it hasn't picked it up. It may not. It will for the next one. Okay. No, it hasn't. Since I've, since I've done, like, the last episode I did, hmm. it had everything in it, and it, when I pushed it yeah, up... Yeah, they're the probably I- doing something wrong. So here's uh, this. I don't want to get too arcane, because I would imagine that only about one-tenth of one percent of our audience does podcasts, but... Um, there, there is a way to store in an MP3 information about the artist, the title, the track name, even the album art. That's, of course, why when you download a song on iTunes or anywhere else, you've got all that information in there. Not just the name of the file, but you get you know actual stuff, including genre and so forth. Those are called, as you say, ID3 tags. There's a standard for it. Unfortunately, iTunes doesn't exactly follow the standard. Oh, boy. What a surprise. So maybe the way to do this, Craig, is to edit those tags in iTunes. If you click on a song or your podcast and say get info on it, command I on the Mac, you'll get a info, a lo- you know, several page long info box that you can populate and save. The advantage of doing that is it will save it in iTunes style as well as MP3 style. And so that might work. The other thing is that it's also got to be in your feed and this is a little more tricky, and this is the part that I think most people aren't going to be particularly interested in because they don't make feeds. Um, if you have a good feed editor or you're using Feed Burner to create your feeds, it will have in the – feeds are in a, uh, a language called XML. In the XML of the RSS feed, there are tags for album art, artists, and all of that stuff. For the podcast as a whole, not for individual episodes, but for the podcast as a whole, that also has to be populated. If you're on a Mac, I know you're not, but if you're on a Mac, you can use what we use, which is a program called Feeder from Reinvented Software. And it does this all properly. It has form, you know, a form-driven editor that lets you, you know, populate these fields properly so that you get exactly what you're hoping for. It even gives you a preview of how your feed will look in iTunes, which is really great. That's on the Mac side. I don't know, and I'll ask the chat room of something. You're in the chat room, so you can you can find out. I don't know, but uh, the chat room might have a good uh, choice for you in Windows. If you're using WordPress for your blog, PowerPress is very good. You know, essentially, you need tools that will create the proper RSS. Of course, iTunes has its own making a podcast page. I'll put a link in the show notes to that that talks about it. But it talks about it in kind of, frankly, an abstract way that may not be that helpful. 
there's all these special iTunes things, which I'm frankly fairly mad at Apple for doing. It's very typical of Apple. It wasn't good enough to just take an existing standard and adhere to it, though. They had to, they had to improve on it. The problem is what Apple created is not a standard. It's just what Apple does. Unfortunately, because 90% of all podcasts or more are downloaded through iTunes, you have, to, you have to give Apple their due and do it Apple's way as well as the traditional way. It's very annoying. It's very typical. Uh, not just of Apple, but of the, of the tech industry in general. Every company has to put their little stamp on it instead of just supporting uh, existing standards that are plenty good enough. There's no need to reinvent the wheel, but everybody does it. Hey, good luck uh, with the podcast, Craig. What's it about? What do, what, what do you talk about on your podcast? It's a podcast for uh, large-scale radio control cars. Uh, wow. Podcast. What's the name of it? It's the Drivers Stand.ca is the website. Drivers, drivers what? Driver Stand. Driver Stand with one S. Driver Stand.ca. .ca is the website. Cool. What are they called? Large tail? They're large scale radio control. Fifth scale radio control. Oh, large cars. scale. They're big. Yeah. How big? Yes. How big? Um, I think they're three feet long. Wow. I'm not sure of the exact dimensions, but they run on two stroke motors. Holy and there's cow. a pretty large following in the States. And uh, we race them. We race them fairly regularly. So this oh, was a neat. podcast to sort of address to talk about large scale and specific. Is it the driver stand? Driver. No, I think I have the wrong site. Yeah, it's the driver stand.ca. Ca. Oh, I got dot com. Of course, I'm I'm a nitwit. Ca is for I Canada. I went to your competitor. Hey, there's me. <laughs> That's great. So we give you. A, we'll give you a little plug. The driver stand.ca. Your source for all things. R.C. Gosh, I'd love to see these things. Uh, three feet long. Wow. Yeah. There's uh, all kinds of videos and such on YouTube. They're, uh, they're pretty popular. Wow. Very neat. Very interesting. I sure wouldn't want to get hit in the knee with one of those. No. We had one of them upwards of 100 kilometers an hour. Holy once. cow. So they, uh, they hustle. Well, and this is what I was talking about uh, with a caller a couple of hours ago. Um a narrow niche is much better than trying to do all things for all people. So you don't want to be at all RC. You want to be a particular kind of RC. And mm-hmm. and that way you're much more likely. Not And it's not merely to avoid competition, although that helps. It's also because then you know the audience, they know you, and you can serve them. Isn't, aren't you, if you're, if you're into something, don't you, wouldn't you prefer to have somebody who really serves what your interests are directly? I'm sure you Leo Laporte, the we are. We're moving out. Moving out. Not, I'm not moving in with Billy Joel. We're moving out of the old Tech Guy Labs into the brand new Tech Guy Labs. It's in our Brickhouse Studios, our beautiful Brickhouse Studios. One more week here. And uh, then Sunday, the 24th, right after the Tech Guy Show, I'm standing up and walking out the door never to return. Yes, I'll take my ball, the ball that I sit on. I don't sit on a chair. But the good news is Dick Bartolo will be with me. Yes. Walking hand in hand. Really? Do I have to hold your hand? Uh, I, I'm afraid, yes. I'm afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Dick Bartolo is the Giz Wiz Mad Magazine's magist writer for four decades. He's also a crazy gadget hound, and he joins us every week. Of course, he also does a podcast with us. 
called the Weekly Daily Gizwiz. And, you know, I forgot to mention, we had Bob Heil on earlier, another podcaster on our network who does a great podcast called Ham Nation. Well, for hams, you know I'm a ham now, Dick. Oh, oh now you're a ham? No, I've always been a ham, but now I have a piece of paper that proves it. Oh, okay. Okay. I could have written you a piece of paper um, eight, <laughs> 10 years ago when we met that you were a ham. I'm but. definitely a Okay. Ham. Well, now, what, what are you doing another podcast now? You're doing uh, Ham Nation. Hams Across America. Ham Nation. Oh, Ham called. Nation. Oh, ham you're going to be you're gonna be part of that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Bob Heil, who does all of our mics, your mic too, I know, um, is a really yes. great guy, Well known, very well-known ham. He and Gordon West, who is uh, probably the king of ham teachers. Uh, do a show every uh, Tuesday at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern on live.twit.tv called Ham Nation. But they talked me into becoming a ham. But you know what I like about being a ham? There's what? lots of gear, lots of gadgets. Lo- I mean, lots. It opens a whole new world of gadgetry. Really? Oh. Like what? Oh, you know, outside of outside of a mic and headphones and radios and 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 transceivers and and antennas and oh my gosh it's like you know stuff for the car stuff for the I got well I'll tell you what in a couple of weeks I'll show you my new handheld that I just got from Icom okay it lets okay me, this thing it okay I know this won't be much use but if you had one and I had one. Yeah, and yes, you got yes. lost. I could press a button that said that would say Dick is is two kilometers that way, and I and I could I could like find you. Oh yeah, and then I would call on my cell phone and say, Leo, what's a kilometer? <laughs> and and I can see you from where I'm standing. So could you just turn around? Because that's here the I real am. problem. Is that <laughs> the truth is uh, we wouldn't have cell phones without ham radio because they really invented all the technologies. But now you can carry in your pocket a phone that pretty much does everything. Yeah, I know. But I won't ruin it for you. I'll be lost if you want. Yeah, would you please? Yes, okay. What is your gadget of the week this week, Dick? A gadget of the week is another yet another way to solve the problem of plugging those giant transformer plugs into power outlets. Oh, I and travel without- a lot. When you get to the you know, the hotel room, they only have two plugs, so you got to put a power strip in there. And then you can't plug in all the stuff because every every they call them wall warts. They they just take up all the space. Exactly, exactly. Well, this is a, a a new way to do it from Quirky. We uh, we had that uh, device where you could make your own kind of Swiss Army knife to uh, customize it. Well, right. Quirky has something called Pivot Power. So Pivot Power is a bendable power strip. Every outlet is articulated so that you can bend it so that whichever way the thing you plugged in is plugged in, the next outlet can be bent so it clears it. It's like a if snake using, or something. This is it, so weird. It, exactly. If you're in an office, you could actually wrap it around a, a leg of your desk and wow. plug six giant transformer plugs into it it's also a surge protector it also has the flat plug on the end so when you plug it in it doesn't oh, take up a lot this. of all space yeah oh, it's, it's yeah. 29 it's 29 bucks and something i forgot to mention last time at corky.com uh they look for inventors they say everything they sell was invented by people uh who called him up and said, I have an idea. This was uh, like a kid who invented this. Jake yes, Zeman. Exactly. 
Exactly. They charge you $10 fee to help offset their cost because I'm sure they see a lot of stuff that doesn't work out. But you can get a critique of your invention wow. or your gadget for the 10 bucks, so it's worth it. But this is, this is from that guy, and uh, it's called Pivot Power from Quirky. I think it's really uh, kind of cool. We've seen so many different choice you know, solutions for this, but this, yes, this exactly. one looks pretty it's great. Yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a clever one. I like the fact that that a kid invented it. Can Not I get a kid, this on kid, Amazon but, or um, uh, you know, quirky. I I believe you can. I actually didn't check. I just uh, priced it on Quirky dot com, mm. but I'm sure that it's it's uh, <laughs> widely. I sold. like their uh, I like their uh, slogan: "Flex your power." Yeah, pivot your power, pivot pal. Your power. Dick is at Gizwiz G I Z W I Z dot. B I Z. I know you don't see a lot of B I Z websites, but it's actually a good name. Gizwiz.biz. And when you get there, you'll see notes about all the different gadgets he talks about, where you can hear his podcast, the weekly daily Gizwiz. And, lest we forget, the What the Heck Is It game. The new yeah, July August yeah. game is underway. A chance to win an autographed copy of Mad Magazine. And you might say, well, I can't figure out what that is. Well, here's the good news. Only 12 people who get it right get it mad. 24 people who give you a good, clever, but wrong guess. 24 get Mad Magazine's autographed by the one and only Dick D. Bartolo. So this is better if you don't know what it is. Exactly. Exactly. We aspire to help people be creative <laughs> or stupid, whatever they want. Or silly or goofy. or Yes, yeah, yeah. We thrive on that. Silly is our middle name. Dick, hang around. We're going to do the Daily Gizmos right after the uh, radio show. I'll be here. All right. But we have time for a few more calls, so let's get those in, starting with Lance in Massachusetts. Hi, Lance. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, just think, Leo, if your wife was from Switzerland, you'd be ham and Swiss. <laughs> Maybe I should get a Swiss wife, because that's a good joke. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no I not, not worth changing wives just for that. <laughs> well, hey, uh, yes. I have two questions for you. Yes, sir. The first is the most important. Well, actually, they're both important. But uh, I'm a truck driver, and what I'd like to find out from you is what you would recommend as the best or the two best Bluetooth uh, connectors I could use for my cell phone to talk on while I'm driving. You know, uh, I, I got a call from a trucker a few months ago. And um, who asked, he said, I need better noise cancellation. And and I hope the chat room remembers this site. But somebody sent us to a site for truckers that had a Bluetooth that looked like it was just made for a noisy truck cab to give you great noise cancellation. It was a headset. So it was something that you'd, you'd actually, you know, you want something that's going to kind of come close to your mouth right because it's so noisy but you also want active noise cancellation uh, in there what was the chat room do you remember i'm just going to see if they remember do you remember the the chat uh the the, the site that was recommended to us in the chat room because this when i looked at it i thought this is fantastic was it truckersstore.com was that it um they they uh, have a number of bluetooth wireless devices with what they call extreme noise suppression including the Blue Parrot. Uh, Parrot does some pretty good stuff. And this is a headset that you have. You wear over your head. Do you mind wearing something over your head, uh, Lance? No, not if it uh, does the job. I mean, I have a jawbone, 
but it just doesn't quite seem to do the job. Yeah, no, because a lot of background noise, most of these guys are just not going to handle that. This one is Bluetooth. It's wireless, but uh, it puts the uh, earpiece right on top of your ear. It's like a headphone. It mounts over your head, and then it has a boom that puts the mic much closer to your uh, mouth. And they say they also have uh, high-performance noise cancellation. And I believe this is actually the one... Uh, that we had a trucker in the uh, in the chat room that he recommended. So this is from truckers-store.com. It is a it is a Bluetooth headset designed for noisy environments. The Blue Parrot B two fifty XT. If you do get, it's not very expensive, about seventy eight bucks, which is pretty good for a headset of this kind. If you do get it, let me know. Comes with a cigarette charger as well as a, a wall wart power charger. Uh, call back and let us know whether it worked for you. Okay, and it's Blue Parrot two fifty DX. It's a B as in boy 250 X-ray Tango. Oh, okay, I got that. And the second thing is, I'm on. Uh, I have uh, Vista on my laptop, and it shows in my C drive that I only have four gigs of free space out of 69. Is that normal for Vista to use up that much? Because I don't have any uh, music and hardly. Uh, Got a couple of pictures on That's it. That's an awful lot. I mean, you should be able to install Windows, even Vista, in 10 gigs or less. I suspect the temp files or maybe your uh, swap file are taking up extra space. Uh, but it's hard, it's hard for me to say because I'm running out of time. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Have a great week!